You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight injuries with Will Carroll and go round the league with former NFL standouts Mike Rucker and Max Starks. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Los Angeles Chargers receiver Tyrell Williams. Tyrell, thanks so much for taking the time. How you doing? I'm doing good. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's a pleasure to chat with a playmaker. So you were part of this team a year ago. So many tight losses and then a challenging start this season. How did you and your teammates stay positive and then break through with the victory last week in New Jersey? Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty simple for us. You know, uh, we're going to come out no matter what if we win or lose next week and, and get out there to practice. So, I mean, we expect to win every game. So just keeping that mindset makes it easy to come out and, and compete. Speaking of competing, uh, Tyrell, you have a quarterback in Phillip Rivers who has about as much passion as, as, as most guys on that team combined. Uh, give me your take when you see him get riled up on the field. Like I think last week, I think it was a four-down play or, or a play couldn't come in, and he started yelling at Ken Wisenhunt or whoever it was in his vision. Uh, give me your take on what that does for the football team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. When you got you know, your quarterback has that much passion and wears it on his sleeve. Uh, I mean, it brings the rest of us up. You know, he, he know he wants to win. You can see he wants to win, and he's trying to make every play. So just, I mean, it just kind of elevates everybody around him. You want to kind of try to match uh, his competitiveness while you're out there. Tyrell, we spent a lot of time on the NFL draft on this program, and then we love to spotlight folks like yourself who make it to our league even though they were undrafted. Take us through your process coming out of Western Oregon. At what stage did you figure, I have a chance to play in the NFL? Uh, it was, it took a while. I mean, uh, I didn't really have a lot of scouts coming to practice or anything like that. And, uh, didn't have my own pro day. So I ended up going to Oregon State's pro day and catching for Sean Mannion and, uh, had a pretty good pro day. And that's when I started talking to more and more scouts. And then, uh, from there, it just kind of, kind of blew up and I started noticing that I might get a shot. So, uh, once I wasn't drafted, you know, I was fortunate enough to get the call to come to San Diego at the time and, and, uh, go out there and compete for a spot. So, I mean, it, it all worked out in the end. What is it about the National Football League, Tyrell, that really shocks you or, or, or caught you by surprise, other than the finances that you're now allowed to have and receive? Uh, what is it about the game that really intrigues you most uh, when it comes out of being around all the great talent you see, whether it be defense, offense, or even special teams? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me coming out of college, you know, playing D2, I was able to get a lot of separation on, on pretty much every route. And uh, the biggest difference was when I first got into camp, you know, I feel like um, even when you just got a little bit of separation, it's seen as, as open. And I wasn't used to having that tight coverage like that all the time. You know, every single route, there's always there's always someone near. Uh, so I think that was the biggest difference is how tight the coverage was and how uh, I got to get more detail with my routes when I was uh, first coming in. It's just, you know, I just can't waste any steps, can't waste any time. So it was all, that was the biggest surprise for me, I think. Chargers wide receiver Tyrell Williams is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Tyrell, take us back to last year because you became a fantasy hero with the seven touchdowns, in part because the opportunity presented itself as you saw the injuries, and unfortunately that's just what happens in the NFL. How ready were you for the opportunity when your name was called? Uh, I think I was real ready. You know, I prepared myself after my rookie year. Uh, I saw some action late 
late in the season, I kind of just, you know, got the feel of what it was like to be out there during the game. So I wanted to use that as momentum and I, that off season, I uh, put in a lot of work, you know, to get myself ready in case another opportunity like that came. And unfortunately, it, it did because of injuries. But um, you know, I didn't want there to be any let off, you know, if Keenan or at that time Stevie Johnson had gotten hurt. I didn't want it to be, you know, a letdown at receiver. Uh, and so I wanted to make sure if that happened, I came in and was able to fill that role and and play the best I could, and ended up having a good season last year. When you have an opportunity during the off season to get yourself prepared for it, um, and things don't shake out as well as you like for it to, uh, being right now that you guys have a win against the Giants, um, how do you get yourself prepared to to make this run of taking it one practice at a time, one game at a time, to hope you can have a, a chance to play for something in the latter part of the season? Uh, for me personally, you know, I just try to come out and, and get better at something every day. You know, if I have a a rough day with my releases or a rough day with my <clears throat> routes uh, one day, the next day, or after practice, I want to spend extra time on that. And, you know, so I'm just trying to, to get better every single day personally. And I know as a team, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing when it comes to um, the ways we want to get people the ball and defensively how they want to cover certain things. So I know uh, we come out every single day and try to fix what we've seen from the game and then what we see each day in practice. You know, So it's just kind of a a grind, but I mean, when you focus on just getting better, it makes it go by quick, and you have a lot of fun doing it. Tyrell, feels like the receiving core is going to get even better. Mike Williams, the Chargers' first-round pick out of Clemson, coming back from the back injury. How's he been looking at practice, and what's he going to mean for this team when he steps on the field? Uh, he's been looking good. You know, he's you know his first-round pick like he was, and uh, you expect him to make some of the plays that he's already been making in practice, so uh, I know we're definitely excited to get him out there and see what he can do in the game, so um, it's nice that we have uh, a lot of good receivers around him to help him and take a lot of pressure off of him once he gets gets going in the game. So, uh, But we're excited to get him out there and see what he can do. Antonio Gates, he's the godfather out there. Let's just say that. He ends up, what I think, getting the most touchdowns of any tight end in the game in the history of it. Um, when you watch him practice when he does, because uh, you know the older you get, you'll end up finding out, Tyrell, you, you don't have to practice that much. You have a chance to take some time off because you're so experienced. But to see Antonio Gates actually play the way he plays, practice the way he practice, what does it mean to you to see someone still being able to run great routes, get open, catch the ball at the highest point, and just do everything well from a fundamental standpoint? Yeah, I think it's huge. You know, I just remember when I at first seen him practice my rookie year, uh, I didn't realize how fast he was, you know, and how quick he was in and out of breaks and stuff. You don't really notice that just watching him on TV, but when you see him in practice and see how he works, uh, every rep that he takes, I mean, he takes like it's a game rep and seeing how he moves and being so big it's it's pretty incredible and I mean it goes to show why he's the, the all-time leader in touchdowns so uh but yeah I mean he's he definitely late in the career you know I'll take as many reps but when he does get his reps he makes them count that's for sure Tyrell we've all had a practice to say the LA Chargers you were part of the San Diego Chargers what was relocation like for you finding a new place and having to figure out all of the nuances of living in the LA area uh, it actually went pretty smooth for me. I kind of I waited a little, probably too last minute to find my place. But uh, other than that, it went pretty smooth. And then once I finally got it, you know, everything just kind of took care of itself after that. And I've been enjoying it so far. It's been a nice area. So you like LA better than you like San Diego? It's okay to say it. Nobody else is listening. It's just us three <laughs> on the air. Go ahead. Shoot, I you know I love San Diego. It's probably one of the best cities ever. You know, LA is cool too. So it's kind of you know. There's good and bad about each one. We'll, see, we'll just keep it at that. Good answer, right. Tyrell. You're going to be a politician. We're not talking about having to go to Toledo or Topeka. Last one for me. We've heard that Philip Rivers has tricked out his SUV so he can watch 
game tape coming back and forth between San Diego. Have you seen this ride? Oh, I saw pictures of it. I haven't actually seen inside of it, but I know it, it looks unreal what I've seen. So I know he's he's able to ride and watch in comfort, that's for sure. Now, is Kellen Clemens driving that? How's that work? <laughs> I don't know who's driving it. I'm not sure who it is, but as long as they get here safe and back every day, it's all good. Well, you've got to tell him that you see it, though. You you can't you can't be on the other end of catching the ball and he not let you see what it's like. Because at some point in time, you may want to get one of those nice rides like that. Television, video games, all that good stuff. There's no way I could ever sit in traffic every day like that. All <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Well, you know, he is the father of the year. Tyrell, best of luck on Sunday. Thanks for giving us a few minutes today on the NFL on TuneIn. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane pun returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer on this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the Panthers with Mike Rucker, former Panther defensive end, part of the NFL Legends community. Mike, thank you for taking the time. How are you? Doing good. Always be. It's always good to be with you guys. And we appreciate you taking the time on the game day. So let's focus on your specialty defense. What's the state of the Panthers' D getting ready to take on a talented Eagle offense tonight? I, I think that um, the D uh, is, is going to have their hands full. Uh, this the Philadelphia team's coming in as hot too, just like them. And uh, obviously, you have a, a younger quarterback that uh, you need to put some pressure on him. And they're on the road. You're at home, so you need to use that crowd and that noise to really make it uncomfortable for them. I think up front, I think this is one of these games where uh, the defensive front can really get after them and really be a game changer uh, tonight. Mike, good to have you on and appreciate you coming as usual. Um, when you see Cam Newton playing the way he's playing, uh, some questioned if he was going to be able to, to be productive because of his surgery. Uh, but you see him actually being able to – to move around in the pocket uh, just as good as he once did the time in which they went to Super Bowl 50. He runs the ball well. He's accurate. Two con- two consecutive weeks of throwing over 300 yards. He has a little young mighty mouse of a of a running back in the backfield named Christian McCaffrey. He's kind of that hybrid player where he, he can play wide out and also run the football well. How intrigued are you to see this offense now clicking the way they once did to where they're now the team to reckon- be reckoned with in the NFC? Well, I think a lot of people thought that it would just take time and how quick could they get that shoulder and get that rust knocked off and him get his timing back. First couple games, it was kind of tough, but you saw the last two weeks, he's really starting to come back to two years ago. Uh, The one thing that I really like is that if it's not there, he's taking off running. That puts a lot of pressure on the opposing defense because now you've got another set of eyes that you've got to keep on him. And, oh, by the way, you got Christian McCaffrey, who is he getting the ball? Is he not? You have to respect McCaffrey's speed and agility. So now all of a sudden McCaffrey is pulling linebackers out of these windows, these throwing windows, where you would have a little bit more time to keep maybe that linebacker in play. There's opening up windows for Cam to either get a nicer throw in there 
for able and him to run. When you see Cam doing his first down mark, doing his Superman in the end zone, dancing, that's when this team is at its best. In the last two weeks, you've really seen him step up his game. Mike, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey, who was record-setting with his versatility at Stanford. We saw him score his first touchdown last week. Do you think he's going to play an even bigger role in this offense in the coming weeks? I think that his, I think the role will stay the same. Um, I think as he starts to get more comfortable, I think maybe tonight where you might see him is maybe in the, in the special teams. Right, Both teams are, are playing really well, but the special teams could be the factor tonight, whether it's a kick or whether it's that one punt return that changes the field. And I think that's where he's going to have a lot of explosive uh, playmaking power is in the, in the kick return game. Uh, offense, like I said, you have to account for him. And when they slide him out, I guess when you really look at the uh, New England Patriots game, I think that you really saw his effect with him not having the ball how defenses uh, have to account for him, and that can open somebody else up for a free shot. How much more improvement you see this team need to make, whether it's defensively, offensively, or special teams? What part of the game you feel they need to improve a little bit more in order to be the better team within the conference? I think there's two areas. I think on offense, I would like to see um, getting Jonathan Stewart um, really just going coming downhill, getting him some carries, to where he's really establishing the run. I think the offensive line was a little unsteady in, in the beginning, but they're starting to come around. They lost Ryan Khalil for a while, um, you know, and, and, and so they've got a backup center in there who's playing well. So they're starting to gel. I'd like to see Jonathan Stewart um, get some more action coming downhill. And then for the defense, I would like to see them finish the football game. There's been a couple games where they allowed some teams to kind of come back and make it a closer ball game than what it needs to be. I think if you can control the line of scrimmage on offense and shut these teams out when you get ahead, I think that will really be something that will help them go into the playoffs and and ultimately get to their final goal. Chatting with Mike Rucker, the former Panthers defensive end, part of the NFL Legends community. Mike, we've been digging into this matchup category by category, and we devoted an entire segment to the importance of Jonathan Stewart. I know that he is appreciated locally. Do you think he deserves more national credit when you think about what he's meant to this offense? In many ways, he's been the heart and soul for the better part of a decade now. Yeah, you know, he's one of those guys I think that um, isn't real fancy. He's a bigger guy, but he's got good hands. He can catch that screen ball, and he goes downhill, and it's hard to tackle him. By the time he hits contact, maybe at three yards, he's going to carry you for another four or five yards. And I think in today's world, you see some of these other backs that look more like a McCaffrey that are, that are not as big, but really versatile flying all around the field and in the slot position. And so I think he can kind of get um, uh, overlooked. I think he's a, he's a good guy in the community, but uh, he's one guy that is, I think if I remember right, he is the leading rusher um, for this franchise, which is huge. Uh, we've had some really good backs come through here. And so I, I do believe that he should get some more recognition and what he brings to the table and running the ball. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he helps set the physicality at the line of scrimmage. And, and that's the type of football that travels anywhere in the country, let alone the world, when it comes to being able to control the tempo of the game and, and that style of football. The game has changed a little bit where now we have the spread offenses. Do you think that style of football being physical in the trenches still exists today, considering that they do it more from a spread set as opposed to uh, either with a fullback or without one? You know, you know. obviously the spread has come from the college level, and, and 
we, we were went back for our 97, 20-year uh, national championship reunion last weekend in Nebraska. Back in Cordell, you know, back in that big eight, it was run the football. Oh, yeah. You had to have your big boy pads on. Yep. And we were talking about, even though this went to spread, the fundamentals of football, if you can run the ball and, 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 and control the line of scrimmage, you're going to win your fair share of games. And I don't see why that can't happen again. It's just going to take a coach to say, look, it might hurt a little bit in recruiting, but let's go back to a physical offensive line and a physical running game that controls the line of scrimmage. That's going to open up the pass. And I do believe that um, once someone really puts all their chips on there, that that still exists and it can still be productive. Mike, one of the highlights of our program each week is chatting with a member of the NFL Legends community like yourself. I mentioned committees and having to do administrative work. You're also part of the Leadership Council. You're a regional coordinator. What has this entire experience meant to you? It's been great. Um, you know, I think we've been doing this for about four years now. And, and being part of the Legends community allows me to be able to serve my brothers. Um, guys that played way before me and created these games that, that played in the 70s and 80s to, to guys that are just coming out. And, and basically, I always tell the guys, I'm like a compass. You know, I want to help you get reconnected with your team, uh, get reconnected with the NFL, and get reconnected with your brothers that you played with and played against. And that's been really helpful for me in my transition, but um, also helping guys in their transition and helping them and pointing them in the right direction to the different resources um, you know, I'm in fantasy football. That's something we started up a couple of years ago, and you got guys trash talking uh, in fantasy football. So it's just little things that kind of bring us back together because the one thing that we really miss might not necessarily be the X and O's. It's really that locker room of, of talking junk and, and pranks and, and stuff like that. So anytime we can find venues and different uh, outlets that we can get together and recreate that locker room is pretty cool. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL and tune in and enjoy the game tonight. Always good, guys. Have a good one. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The passion. 25 first down, 20. 15, 10, 5, 3, 2, 1. The fury. Inhaled in the backfield. Sacked for the Huskies. The speed. Here's a home run ball. He's out there. He catches it. The best in college football from coast to coast. Touchdown, Notre Dame. 13 nothing Buckeyes. To the goal line. Touchdown, Texas. Ball's on the carpet. Georgia says we have it. He's in. Touchdown, this is the Nissan College Football Blitz. Listen on Saturdays this fall on College Sports Now on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in the injury expert, Will Carroll. Well, thanks for taking the time. J.J. Watt's on his way to the Hall of Fame, but considering all the games he missed last year with the back injury, now he's done for this season. Is it fair to wonder about his football future? Yeah, it is. He'll come back from this just in the same way he came back from the back. But when you take a look at what he's done to his body, there's absolutely no question about the talent. There's no question that he'll be able to come back from this. Several players have. The question is overall about how, you know, to, to use a term uh, from, from Nick Caleb, it's is he anti-fragile? You know, is he going to be durable? I believe health is a skill. And while you can't get used to these kind of car crash level hits that we have in the NFL, I do think some people can hold up to them better. Yeah, there's a survivor effect as you move from little league to high school to college to the pros, and the bigger, stronger, faster has an effect. 
Uh, there's obviously a wear-down effect, an aging effect. But there are players out there, whether it's Watt, whether it's Gronkowski, whether it's Tyler Eifert, whose season is over. You just don't know whether or not the one skill they don't have is health. Will, when you look at a player like a Matthew Stafford, who's been pretty consistent in the sense of what he's been able to do for the team, I mean, now all of a sudden he gets injured. He doesn't get one injury. He gets an ankle and a hamstring. How does that happen, and and what's the uh, story on where he is right now? Well, usually that happens together because one of them happened, and he tried to play through it, had a compensation. Well, if, if you have a rock in one shoe, you often limp on the other side until you can get things fixed. And even the smallest compensation that your body makes unconsciously is going to have a real effect on you. So uh, in situations like this, you often see it from one side to the other. Uh, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head which is which for uh, Stafford, whether it's on the same side or whether one's uh, on the other. But you'll, you'll often see this. Uh, usually it's the ankle, and then they run a little bit different, and it, it, they overtax the hamstring. Uh, those kind of things are why the medical staff has such a hard time, because they're saying, yeah, you want to go out there, but tell us, and we can fix this. You know, if he, if he hurt his ankle first, uh, I'm sure they, they, they taped it up, spatted that over the shoe, but if, uh, if they didn't tell him, uh, then it's one of those situations where you often see these kind of compensation injuries and why sometimes you have to take that extra week to get somebody back because you want to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen. Now, I mean, with this happening in the same game, obviously a different sort of situation, uh, but because they tend to heal together, I don't think this is going to keep him out longer. It's not like one heals and then the other. Uh, they're just going to have to get his legs under him, literally. Injury analyst Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Will Odell Beckham Jr. tweeting from his hospital room, so we know he's had the ankle procedure this week. What's the rehab going to be like? There's almost none, really. Uh, the question is whether there was any associated soft tissue damage. When you're talking about uh, a fibula, the, the smaller bone on the outside of your lower leg, it's just outside the shin, it's a bone like any other bone, and bones heal. I don't mean to be flip about it, but it's simple. You know, we, if you haven't had a broken bone, you know somebody who's had a broken bone. You don't like, worry that little Timmy that fell off his skateboard, well, his arm's not going to heal. Of course it is. It's simple. You take an x-ray, it's broken, you make sure it's in place, and it heals up over time. There's not a lot we can do for it. Uh, you see use bone stimulators a lot. There was some talk about using uh, some drugs, like you see for osteoporosis, might heal up people. I know there was a quarterback last year uh, who had a broken leg and, and used some of these to hopefully speed the healing. Uh, didn't work. Uh, stupidly, he tried to deny it. But this is a situation where there's not a whole lot Beckham can do but wait for that bone to heal. And once it does, tends to be good. Now, what we're worried about is that syndesmotic ligament, what is sprained in a high ankle sprain. Uh, there is no actual anatomic high ankle. It's called the syndesmosis, where those two bones come together. And I am worried a little bit about that ligament. But it didn't need a surgical fix, so that's at least a good sign. Uh, the question is whether there's some laxity in there both from this injury and from that previous injury in the preseason. If that, if that ligament isn't stable, he's going to have more problems, and that's a really tough one to brace for a guy that has to be fast. How about Brandon Marshall? Out for the year because of an ankle? Yeah, uh, again, this one, wow. you don't think of it being uh, out for the year, but if you have to go in there and take a, a ligament or a tendon, we're not sure exactly which, but there's a lot of soft things in there. 
And one of those breaks, I mean, I can't even sew up a hole in a sock. <laughs> uh, a surgeon is going to go in there and sew up a, a ligament or tendon, a piece of tissue. Now, think about this. Uh, you know, next time you have a steak, uh, before you cook it, cut it, and now stitch it back together. Because that's what the surgeon is really doing. Uh, putting, you know, that's muscle, but, you know, ligaments and tendons, you see those in, in your, your meats uh, all the time. So stitching those back together is, just, to me, absolutely astounding that they can even do this. But you can see why it's going to need extended periods of time to heal, because you've got to put it back together so that not only does it hold together, but it has the right tension and acts properly within that whole system, which is very, very complex. Well, that imagery is going to turn me into a vegan, and I do enjoy my steak. Let's move to New England. How concerned should the Patriots be about Tom Brady's injury? Non-throwing shoulder, but he dealt with this same kind of issue a year ago, correct? Yeah. The AC sprains, we see, anytime you hear AC sprain or separations, essentially the same thing. So what you're looking at here is a pain tolerance issue for the most part. And you do have to worry about that because he's getting hit more this year than he has in the past. Uh, this isn't a problem if he's upright and no one hits him. Uh, it is a problem if somebody uh, hits him and he lands on that side or sticks his arm out. Uh, it's going to hurt. And while you can shoot it up, you don't want to do that because it'll alter his mechanics a little bit. Even though he throws with his right arm, just watch any quarterback throw. That left arm is involved in the process and getting the turn, uh, honestly, in balance. And if you tried to throw with one arm tied to you, it wouldn't go real well. So he would be able to play with this. But the more he's upright, uh, just like most things, the better he's going to be. Sam Bradford, he already had a bone bruise, uh, yeah. obviously because of what took place with his MCL tear uh, through over some time. Uh, give me your take on where he is right now, considering that there's no new injury. It's just the same thing again. Yeah, it, it's the same thing again. They thought they had it under control and clearly it did not respond to the activity and to the contact he was taking. You, you have to wonder what they saw, medical staff in Minnesota. They saw something that made them think he could play, uh, and I didn't really see any of that. He was uncomfortable, he wasn't moving real well, and he was quickly back on the sidelines, uh, both because he was hurt and because he was just downright ineffective. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out, you know, whatever we did before didn't work. So do they have to go all the way back to ground zero? Probably not. But they've got to get this under control, and they've got to get his mobility. So they have to hope that whatever damage was done here, they say there's no new damage. But the old damage was pretty bad. He has no cushions. Uh, With the meniscus and the damage in there, the fact that the bones are coming together, grinding and pounding and causing bruising and and little chips to come out, that's just bad. Uh, I don't know what their next step is going to be, and this may be extended. Uh, for Bradford, which raises the question, when is Teddy Bridgewater going to be ready? As bad as his injury was, uh, well, he wasn't ready in, in the preseason, uh, people I've talked to say he's getting really, really close. We've seen positive steps from him. Uh, so I'm curious, who's going to get back first? Who's going to be ready? Is it going to be Bridgewater or Bradford? And if so, that's going to make some offseason uh, decisions very, very easy for the Vikings. Well, it's a moot point, though, as you learn more about this program. Cordell has Case Keenum in the Hall of Fame, so everything's going to be just fine in Minnesota. Yeah, of course. I mean, honestly, Keenum is pretty much at this stage the perfect backup quarterback. He just there goes out there and wins. 
on good his way setup. to Canton, Ohio. That was, great, that was a great setup, Brian. I like how you set him up. That was good. He thought she was going another direction. Well, well no, good job. We're talking medical-related conversation. I got out the scalpel and was trying to carve you up. Last one for me. You alluded to Tyler Eifert. Back on the IR, back surgery. As I look at the details on ProFootballTalk.com, he's been on the IR now three times in five years. Will, is it fair to wonder about what he's going to be able to achieve when he gets back from the latest issue? Well, let's address first whether or not he's going to get back from this latest issue. Three is kind of the, the unlucky number when it comes to back surgeries. We've seen this time again, J.J. Watt last year, two back surgeries. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, two back surgeries. Spinal, but different uh, in terms of uh, Peyton Manning. But he had two microdiscectomies, the same surgery all the others had. And then the third had to be a fusion. Now, a fusion, you actually take the disc out, you put titanium hardware in there, you make sure uh, everything's stable, but can you play football? You lose extension, you lose a lot from having had that surgery. Uh, and so I don't know whether Eifert or anybody is going to be able to come back from a lower back fusion. We certainly had questions about Peyton Manning, and while he certainly was successful, there were certainly physical limitations he had. Uh, so a lower back for a tight end. And we're seeing more and more of this. You notice Gronkowski, J.J. Uh, Watt, there have been several other uh, defensive and tight ends. We're not really sure why they're getting this so much, but they are. Uh, we're seeing more and more of this. I think it's because they're bigger, stronger, faster, and these guys are getting popped up harder, uh, extending their backs. As uh, you know, If you're J.J. Watt, you're rushing in. If you're uh, Tyler Eifert or Gronkowski, you're rushing out. So this is a tough one. Until we see what Bob Watkins does inside his back, uh, I've got real questions about whether he's going to be able to come back at all. Once we do find out, I have questions uh, about how well he'll play once he does. Will, great information as always. We appreciate the visit. Thanks to your description of everything going on with the steak. I'll be having a salad tonight for dinner, and we'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane pump returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed. For more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer on this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's break down the Pittsburgh Steelers as they get ready to take on the Chiefs with former Steeler offensive tackle, Max Starks. Max, good to chat with you on Radio Row in Houston. Welcome back to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Brian. Good, good to talk to you guys again. What's up, Cordell? Hey, how you doing, brother? How's everything been? Uh, everything has been okay. You know, it's a little tough out here in the desert. You know, I cover the Cardinals a lot, and uh, it's been uh, it's been shaky the last uh, last couple of weeks. But it's all good other eyes. Well, Max, well, smile though, because Cordell says Adrian Peterson showing up is going to change everything. Cordell, explain to Max how Adrian Peterson, at the age of thirty-two, coming back from his latest knee injury, is going to be the catalyst for this football team. I like how he's created that narrative for me, Max. <laughs> you see how he takes exactly. it in the direction he takes it in. You saw that. Did you hear yeah, that? Exactly. 
Okay. Yeah, I heard, I heard. I'll, I'll go sit down and tell us fireside chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Max, here's here's the deal in, in Arizona. Uh, you, you see a quarterback in, in, in Carson Palmer that just really can't get it done. They try to give him an opportunity to have some rest during the – during camp, just to give him a, give himself a chance to come out and be fresh and, and be able to go. That that hadn't worked. You end up losing David Johnson. You end up losing Chris Johnson. Now you have to truly rely on Adrian Peterson. And, and Coach Bruce Arians mentioned that what they do there in Arizona is similar to what they did in Minnesota. How much you think they're forced to have to give, let's just say, a minimum of 15 carries a game to Adrian Peterson, which I think plays in favor of him because now once you get the wheels moving in a change in motion, that's when you might be able to see him playing a little bit better football than four games of 81 yards with the New Orleans Saints. Give him a minimum of 15 carries. There's no if ands, or buts about it, especially when you look at how this team is built in Arizona. They're built to run the ball, man-blocking schemes, gap-blocking schemes, double teams, up the gut, wide off tackles, in between guards, and that's where Adrian Peterson feasts. Uh, you know, when you think about his running style, they're not a big outside uh, rushing team, outside zone team, which is, you know, what they tried to do with Andre Ellington, Kerwin Williams, and Chris Johnson. Now they're going to really get back to their DNA. And I think that's the biggest thing with Bruce Harris. He needs somebody who can actually run it. And, has, and, and you know, think about this, AP has had the benefit or – not benefit of running with some pretty bad lines in Minnesota during his time. So he'll be able to feel his way through this, and I think he is a great addition for this offense. I think this is the, this is the last chance you have to bring out the paddles and try and breathe life into this offense. Two-time Super Bowl champion Max Starks is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Max, as I was suggesting with that loaded lead-in, I think Adrian Peterson is done. And I've been watching the Cardinals closely one could argue they should still be winless. Let's say this remains a challenging year. Bruce Arians is respected and beloved, but how much job security does he have? Uh, this, this is one that, you know, I think his job would be secure because of what he, what he did in his first three years there. He brought back-to-back-to-back 10-win seasons, took this team to a conference championship, and like you said, he is well-respected, well-loved. The question is, Will he be willing to come back after this year? I think that's a more important question is after this season, however it goes, and if it goes sour, you know, will he have it in him to come back and coach another season of football, especially with all the health scares that he had the year before? I think that would be the big tale. And then, of course, you have also think Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald. If both of those guys leave, I don't know how he could come back. Uh, and coach without having his two biggest leaders. You mentioned coming back. Let's go out to Pittsburgh, the homeland. Uh, give me, give me your take on, on how you have so many players nowadays. Um, you know how it was. There was one narrative. There was, there was um, one person just delegating the story. Has always been the head coach. But when you hear Ben mentioning that practices are too physical, when you hear Ben talking about he may retire. When you hear Ben going off on A.B. Antonio Brown, which we know he's very passionate and, and feels like he was wide open, which he was on the one play against the Baltimore Ravens, and Ben just going on his tirade, how frustrated is it for you to hear so many players 
allowing the message to go to the me through the media as opposed to keeping the things in-house the way I know you once saw it in Pittsburgh and the way I know it was with Coach Cowher when I was there. Yeah, it's funny. We both come from a school of, you know, five temptations, one mic, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one band, one sound. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then now you see, it, it, you know, it, it is something that it, it, it's very shocking. And it kind of went, I think, down when – Things didn't go as planned for uh, you know for the Chicago Bears game pregame, and I think not having everybody on the same page, all 53 guys on the same page, and then you just started seeing the splintering. Uh, I think really from that point, in a lot of ways, was kind of that practical, and then it bled over into the next week, and then of course the following week, and so it's it, it, it's something that's that's troubling. You know, I think Coach Tomlin has to reel these guys back in. He can't give them as much rope uh, to play with because, you know, when you look at the Steelers, the Steelers have always been a team that we've looked at as very uniform, united. I mean, think about the collective bargaining agreement. We were the only team that voted against it. That's how united of a team we've been throughout this entire process. And then to now see that with, you know, I hate to say it, younger guys that are now there, everybody is so social media inclined to do things that they don't know how to have those interpersonal communication skills, talking one-on-one. It's not like A.B.'s locker is that far from Ben's. You know, it's not that far. Everybody's locker is relatively close. If you need to talk about something, you go talk to each other, and then you just keep it away from the media. How we've always done you handle it in-house, but there's not the same amount. There's in those locker rooms at all those positions as there once was back when you and I played. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber taking you around the league with Max Starks. Max, I'm not trying to put you in a position to disparage a former teammate, so I'll make an observation and you can weigh in. Why is there apparently always drama surrounding Ben Roethlisberger, and a lot of it feels like it's of his own creation? Well, (laughs) I mean, I I think, you know, Ben has his own personality. You know, I I had a locker next to Ben for my entire career. I love Ben, and you know, Ben's Ben gonna Ben's that bird that he likes to he likes to go to the beat of his own drum at, at times. But for the most part, you know, it's you know he'll say something, and even though it's a jest, because he he's not a comedic person, he he doesn't really interact with the media, you know, in a funny fashion. So when he does make a funny outburst, everyone's oh my gosh, that's it, that 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 that, that that's it for Ben. He said it, so it must be real. But, you know, he's the type of guy, he just, he makes jokes randomly, even though they're not necessarily at the time when you want to hear it. And, uh, and you know, tries to have a little fun, but sometimes it goes sour with him. And, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. You know, sometimes as a quarterback, you know, you, all your words, and Cordell, you can speak to this, when you say something, everybody is listening. If I say something, Maybe one or two people listen, but anytime a quarterback says something, especially a franchise quarterback of the caliber of Ben Roethlisberger, everybody's going to be listening. Everybody's going to be reading into, and you know, I just, I, I thought it was Ben trying trying to interject a joke, you know, because he had such a bad game. Yeah, he did, and that's not the time to do the joking because uh, it, it's been exactly. pretty, it's been pretty bad over the, over the past couple of weeks. You mentioned sour. Uh, it's pretty sour in, in New York. Uh, the Giants, they, they are 0-5 right now. The message seemed like it's lost. Uh, Coach McAdoo, when you look at Cromartie, he's suspended indefinitely. Uh, you have 
Brandon Marshall, who's out for the rest of the season because of an ankle in- injury and having to get it surgically repair- repaired, as well as Odell Beckham. Uh, you hear that Sterling Shepard's going to come back, but how bad is it moving forward for the Giants when you see uh, the mistakes that's being made? You have a delay of game by the quarterback who potentially will be a first ballot, for sure, Hall of Famer, uh, if not first ballot, uh, getting a delay of game on a one-yard line in the red zone. When you see all this, Coach McAdoo calling him out by name, um, the message is lost, obviously, but how bad can it really get or – is it just at the end of the rope for this team and Coach McAdoo may not be back next year because of how bad it is? You know, when I, when I look at the Giants, I, I really expected them at this point to have at least two wins and kind of be that 9-7 and seven type of dark horse. But after seeing how they played, like you said, the mistakes after mistakes after mistakes, and you look at their drafting and you say, man, you know, where where would this team where would this team be, you know, if they went after a quarterback? Where would this team have been if they actually went after a real running back? You know, you look at just what they have. We saw all the weapons that they had at the beginning of the season at the wide receiver position, at the tight end position, but they was were all passing positions and they really didn't do anything to really secure their backfield. Uh, you know, looking at a quality guy who could come in and learn under Eli for when Eli's done, uh, a a good running back, and then also, you know, solidifying your offensive line. You went through free agency, really, to get a lot of your offensive linemen. And, and you know, your defense is great, but your defense is only is only so good. Uh, you know, your defense can't score offensively for you the entire time, and I think that's the biggest issue is there's no offensive identity, and they didn't do too much to solidify the second dimension of their offense, which was their running game. And because they don't have running game, everything falls on Eli, and Eli is not at the point where he could take over a game like he used to uh, through the air. So he needs that run support, and I think that's really been the linchpin is not having a quality running game to back up and ease all of the uh, distress that Eli is under uh, in the passing game. And now you throw away, and then you throw away two of his top receivers that he had because they're injured, and now it's going to be extremely tough for them to try and win. So I don't think Ben McAdoo's job uh, is secure at all, uh, especially if the season continues to go in the direction that it's going. Max, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for joining us again here on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, thanks, guys, for having me. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Gold, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. It's time for the Fantasy Fix with Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. Intercepted from the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy, fantasy fix. 
Today, we're pleased to be joined by our pal Holden Kushner, host of MLB on TuneIn. Check him out tonight after what should be a dramatic game five between the Cubs and the Nats in our nation's capital. Winner moving on to the NLCS to take on the Dodgers. Holden, let's jump in with a reaction to the Ezekiel Elliott news of the smart marks in fantasy football already picked up Alfred Morris. Yeah, you should have. I mean, listen, you should have a backup plan for Ezekiel Elliott. Who knows? Tomorrow maybe there's a different court that overturns it because this has been the wildest saga uh, I can remember since, what, maybe last year or the year before with Tom Brady. So it seems like these things happen a lot. And um, Alfred Morris is the guy to own. Uh, Darren McFadden had his shot. I think he's more of a change of pace at this point. And Morris in very, very limited action. We've had eight carries this year. He has averaged almost 11 yards per carry because he had one really big run. But he's the guy to own in the Dallas backfield. Holden, have you seen anything from Christian McCaffrey to where you expect him to start producing like many expected before the year? Did you say McCaffrey? Yeah, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like tonight I look at this matchup. The the Eagles' run defense has been very good um, so far, but they have not been good against the pass-catching running backs. I don't think he knows how to run between the tackles very well yet. I don't think he has been able to exhibit that he can do that to this point. So, for me, Jonathan Stewart is still the guy to own uh, in standard leagues, even half point uh, per reception. And, Full point purple reception. It was nice to see him get in the end zone recently, but I think the expectations needed to be tempered and still need to be tempered for Christian McCaffrey as far as just a runner. He has not shown that he can run between tackles. Much better in the passing game. Holden, as the Patriots get set to take on the surprising Jets, what's your view of Rob Gronkowski? Didn't play Thursday night last week on the road in Tampa Bay with the groin issue. If he's healthy, is he a must-start? Yep, every week. Don't take him out. I mean, he is... He is the number one tight end. I think Travis Kelsey is creeping up on him. I think Zach Ertz is creeping up on him. But when he's in the lineup, he is just a monster. He's a force to be reckoned to. He already has a 100-yard game this season. He has one of his three, only one of his three games under 80 yards. He scored in two of those four games. Um, historically against the Jets, you know, 2016, he only played in one game. Uh, didn't do anything, but the year before that, had 15 catches. For almost 300 yards and a touchdown in those two games. So he's number one. You stick him in there if he's, if he's playing, if he's active. Carlos Hyde saw a reduced role this Sunday. Does that concern you about his production moving forward? Who was that, Cordell? Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde, yes. I am absolutely concerned about Carlos Hyde. Um, but I, I tell you, Kyle Shanahan has been absolutely terrific when it comes to you know, getting his, his system, and I've seen it here in Washington, D.C., where you have just average running backs turning into superstars, kind of like Alfred Morris when he was here. So um, with Hyde, he has a hip issue, and I think that, to me, is something that is limiting him, and that's, that is what's holding him back right now. So until he comes out and he's not limited in practice or he shows on the field that he's 100%, that's when I'll start buying back into Carlos Hyde. But it's obvious that that hip is bothering him. Fantasy Fix Thursday edition with our friend Holden Kushner. Let's shift our attention to the Bay Area's other team, the Oakland Raiders. Maury Cooper's been missing in action. Is that going to change when Derek Carr comes back from the back injury Sunday against the Chargers? I mean, it's not like he was tearing it up when he was there. The guy has just he's gone back to his rookie season where he has a lot of drops. Um, week one, Carr targeted him time and time again in the end zone, and he caught one of the passes, and he dropped a couple other ones. Hasn't been on the field as much as he was in week one either. 
just it's it's surprising because you've got one of the best talents at wide receiver in the National Football League, and now you look at him and he's just not producing. He hasn't even hit, got the ten yards over his last three games: six, nine, and eight yards total. So it, it's shocking. I don't understand. He's on the field a lot, but. Um, it hasn't come together. The good news is is that a couple of games last year against the Chargers went for 133 and 138. He scored in both those games. He also had a couple of clunkers, too, against the Chargers. But I'm, I'm not trusting Amari Cooper at this point in a season-long league, I guess. You know, as a number three wide receiver, you got to keep him in there. But there's got to be better options until he breaks out. The Houston Texans look like they finally found their quarterback in Deshaun Watson, putting up, what, 10 total touchdowns in two weeks. Uh, where is he among the top fantasy QBs at this point? Fire him up, baby. I mean, this guy has the ultimate matchup, too, against the Cleveland Browns this week. But you know, he's throwing for over 250 yards. He's throwing multiple touchdowns. He's got four. So, I mean, he's running for 20, 30, 40 yards. I think he had about 65, 67 yards week two against Cincinnati. He's a top five option at this point. So I can think of you know, some really big names. I'm starting him ahead of this week, Matt Ryan. I'm starting him ahead of. Cam Newton, I'm starting to get ahead of uh, Kirk Cousins. So, Matt Stafford, Jameis Winston, a lot of these guys. I'm starting Deshaun Watson. He's a top five option the rest of the year. Fantasy analysis from Holden Kushner, host of MLB on TuneIn, kicking off his long broadcast day and night. Check him out post game after what should be a game five for the ages NLDS between the Cubs and the Nationals. Holden, I think casual fans may have missed this one. The Saints have a shutout this year. I know it was Miami and London, but the Saints had not posted a shutout going back to 2012. Matthew Stafford is gimpy. What's your take on Stafford heading into the Big Easy? Yeah, again, I I get it with this New Orleans team, but as we say, it's the course field of uh, of football right there. You know, baseball, course field, more runs than anybody. It just seems like they get into New Orleans and it's a track meet, and that's what I think we're going to see again and Matthew Stafford, when you go back and look at his numbers against New Orleans in, in the history, let's see, he's played him each of the last three years, 341 and two touchdowns, 254 and three, and then 299 and two, although he had a couple of interceptions. I mean, I think the floor for him is going to be 275 yards and two touchdowns. I'm not hesitating to fire him up. The question is, who's catching the touchdown? You know, is, is Golden Tate going to be able to find the end zone? Marvin Jones has a tough matchup with, a, with his cornerback this week. Maybe it's Amir Abdullah. Maybe it's Theo Riddick. I think the numbers will come. The question is, where do those numbers go to? Sammy Watkins has had a, uh, I guess you could say, a history of having injuries, but yet when he's healthy, he's about as good as it gets. What's going on with him? Had a good week, uh, one big week, but then since then, been pretty quiet since the beginning of the season. And this is kind of the MO for him. Even going back to Buffalo, he's obviously got a very tough matchup against this Jacksonville secondary, which has been uh, completely shut down to this point. I mean, he just disappeared. And last week was odd against Seattle because it, it, we saw a situation where Sean McVay, not only did he not even bother going to Watkins, they took Todd Gurley out of the game after he fumbled near the end zone. Todd Gurley just didn't get many touches last week. Uh, I'm looking for this offense to get back on track this week. I just don't have any faith in Sammy Watkins to just – it's not consistent uh, targets for him. So, no, he's a, he's a guy that I don't even have on any of my teams right now. Holden, as always, we appreciate the information. Enjoy the playoff baseball tonight. As we say goodbye, do you buy the theory the Cleveland Indians will never win the World Series until Abe Gordon moves back to Cleveland? 
Oh, gosh. If he moved back to Cleveland, they wouldn't even make the playoffs, though. So. <laughs> we would, though, right? Every day would be a playoff game if they moved. Every day would be a playoff game. Yes, it would be. Thank you, Holden. Bye, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane pump returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed. For more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer on this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's dig deeper into Thursday night football between the Eagles and the Panthers, spotlighting our original team player, Carolina's Jonathan Stewart. Now it's time to spotlight today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. It's NFL No Huddle, spotlighting the stars of the game who played their hearts out for one team their entire career. It's the original team player, presented by Miller Lite. Today it's Jonathan Stewart, who I covered way back in his college days at Oregon. Round one pick out of the Pac-10 slash Pac-12, 2008. When you scan the Panther Record books, you're going to see that Stewart has the most rushing attempts in team history. Cordell, here's my view on Stewart nationally. I don't think he's gotten as much credit as he deserves because for years he was sharing time with, say, D'Angelo Williams, and now we're all hyped up about what Christian McCaffrey is going to do in Carolina. And that's that's somewhat what it's been like, in my opinion. Uh, you go all the way back to... Uh, the days of which which uh, D'Angelo Williams when he was there with him, uh, sharing time and and not, let's let's just be realistic here. In in Carolina, uh, it always seems as if it's always been about um, it's always been about the quarterback or the defense. When Sam Mills was there way back in the day, the late Sam Mills, um, you know that that was really what it was all about. It was not. It wasn't about. The, the necessarily and even uh, Steve Smith Sr. You know when he was there, it was by him and 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 uh, what was the other receiver's name um, that was there with him? Not Muhammad. Was it Muhammad? Yeah, years ago, Musha Muhammad. Musha, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you when you look at this team, it's never been really about the backs. It's really been about the physical play of the football team, and I think that's more what it's been about. Yeah, Jonathan Stewart from a national standpoint. You know, who's more intriguing, a Le'Veon Bell or, or Jonathan Stewart? You know, who's more intriguing, a Adrian Peterson or Jonathan Stewart at Carolina? Who's more intriguing uh, when you look at Jerome Bettis even? Uh, you look at any other backs. Where, where are some other backs that were at other places that was pretty darn good um, when being uh, on their prospective teams? Um, that's really about it for his marquee running backs. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you either have the best numbers or you just have a really good football team. And if the quarterback outshines you for whatever reason, which we've seen that be done by Cam Newton, uh, I think that's when you you find yourself in a tough place because now here it is, Jonathan Stewart is still playing good football, but who is it really about in the backfield? Number one, Cam Newton. So from a national standpoint, to me, that's a big word for, for, for running backs when it comes to national media. 
you know, like what's the what's the what's the excitement about Jonathan Stewart that allures him to have a chance to be in the national media no, on that level with the guys hey, I mentioned? Let's go back to Radio Row. The first time we came together in San Francisco, prior to Carolina and Denver playing that Super Bowl in Santa Clara. What were we talking about that week regarding Carolina? Cam Newton, the reigning MVP. The defense with Luke Keekley. Yep. I'm sure we covered Jonathan Stewart, but he was somewhere way down the list when we're talking about how they got to the big game. And he was. He was. I mean, I just think he was star power. You know, yeah, Peyton Manning. Is it his last run? Vaughn Miller in that defense. How is he? DeMarco Murray. Uh, DeMarcus Ware, excuse me. DeMarcus Ware. You know, is it, is it going to be his last year? Uh, defensively overall, being a defense that's capable of catching interceptions and taking them back to the house. And that was a part of the football that they played. So I think, you know, because it's a more of a conservative approach, um, I'm not going to say he's just one of the backs, but when you have Cam Newton on your offense, he is the back to feature. You know, and I think his story was one worth featuring because he was the MVP of the league and he was playing that type of a football where you end up seeing the media being more about his dancing and because of letters being sent to the organization because someone thought he was dancing too much in the end zone when I thought he was doing a good job. Um, so when I, when I look at this, honestly, um, I can understand it. You wish there probably was a little bit more national news, but I just don't see it for Jonathan Stewart on that level, not yeah. from a national standpoint. But no. look at the numbers. They're very solid. Feels like he shows up when healthy and does his job. But since we're talking about key metrics, he turned 30 in March. We know yeah. that Christian McCaffrey is going to be the running back of the future. 30 can be a scary age for running backs, unless you're Frank Gore. So where do you think Jonathan Stewart is at this stage of his career? Well, I mean, when looking at what he's been able to do uh, from the standpoint of, of being consistent, um, from being persistent, he's gotten 10 years in the game. Um, you know, you bring in the young kid and Christian McCaffrey, now he's getting a little more shine than Jonathan Stewart. You know, Jonathan Stewart to me is a guy that brings his lunch pail to work and he goes in just to, do, to do just that. It's go to work. He's not looking for the shine. He's not looking for the glitz. Uh, he's not looking to, to to get the attention. He just wants to do his job and do his part. I mean, Greg Olson even should be someone that's even more marketed on that team um, just because of what we know he's capable of doing and how he makes the life easy for Cam Newton. But because Cam Newton is such a lightning rod, I mean, you get he gets more of the attention. Uh, regardless of what that attention may be, he still gets it. Uh, so when I look at his career and, and everything that he has been able to accomplish – uh, I mean, he is a guy that that's been there. You know, he, he's been he's been dependable. Uh, he's been a hard worker. He's just, he's a grinder, um, and he just goes in and does his job. He's not asking for any accolades. He just wants to win and just do his job. You know, uh, he doesn't have a flair to him that you can tag, and it's not a disrespectful thing because again, he just seemed like he's a blue collar running back that just goes in and does his job between the tackles and does it well. Gets injured sometimes, but not nothing that's 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 a topic of conversation when it comes to Jonathan Stewart. Uh, but when it comes to what he does mean to this team, he's a big part of the production uh, when it comes down to playing in the trenches and hoping to keep the down and distance ahead uh, so that as they go through the process of play calling everything by Coach Shuler, 
uh, you'll find this team being able to to do what they want to do by being on schedule. Detailing Jonathan Stewart, he's our original team player presented by Miller Lite. You referenced the play calling, and you know my years with Bill Walsh, so I could sit here and just talk about X. <laughs> there we go. Let hours. me hear this. Fortunately, we have limited time. To me, I want to see more run plays in Carolina. That means more Stewart, more McCaffrey, because I want Cam Newton to stay healthy. Do you think the offense is ever going to evolve in that direction in a much more pronounced way? You have to ask yourself, who's the most dynamic runner of the football between the three? Is it Cam Newton? Is it Jonathan Stewart? And he can even throw Christian McCaffrey in that situation. Running the football. Cam Newton, he gives you more. You look at the first game of, of the season starting back in, in, in August, in, in, yeah, in uh, September. First game, 18 attempts, 65 yards for Jonathan Stewart. Second game, 15 attempts, 40 yards for Jonathan Stewart. Third game, 12 attempts, 57 yards. Next game, 14 attempts, 68. The next, 18 for 21. Averaging 1.2 yards per carry against the Detroit Lions. So when you really start getting into the matrix of it all, it really allows you to, to, to continue to feed Cam Newton, he gives you more yards, whether it's because of the offensive line, whether it's because of miss, whatever it may be. It's not the most colorful situation for this team running the football with Jonathan Stewart than it is with Cam Newton because guess what? He has the ball in his hands all the time. He's the quarterback, meaning he's looking downfield to make the throw. You hope someone can mirror him. I mean, he's so big when he falls forward, he falls forward three yards. So he gets hit at three, he falls forward three more yards, he now gets six yards of a game. So now you're looking at second and four. You know, when coming out of the backfield, and straight handed off to Jonathan Stewart, he'll give you good runs, but nothing that's as colorful as a Cam Newton. So for me, if, if I'm a play caller, and I think this is why you see the 100-plus carries around that area, right at 100 to 100 carries or more from Cam Newton, is because he keeps them in the game. He keeps them ahead of down in distance. And it's not saying that Jonathan Stewart can't run. He's washed up. No, he's not. I think he's still a good runner. But is that their, their, is, is that their M.O. when it comes to running the football? No, it's not. From the backfield, it's not. It's allowing Cam Newton to do his thing. And that's the way it's created. That's the way it's been. And that's the only way they're going to have success. It's all done by number one. And uh, it just so happens, you know, he's going to have to sacrifice his body just a little bit. And hopefully he's sitting in a hyperbaric chamber every week, hot tub, cold tub. Uh, massages, uh, a little yoga, all right, and then some good rest uh, because it's it's not going to get any easier as he moves forward to try to, one, win his division, let alone be a better team without within uh, the conference. We'll find out what kind of impact Jonathan Stewart can have tonight. Will he shine in primetime? 4-1 Carolina hosting 4-1 Philadelphia, 825 Eastern time on TuneIn Premium. Jonathan Stewart, original team player presented by Miller Lite. This original team player segment has been presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. NFL No Huddle will be back right after this. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane pump returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed. For more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer on this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. 
Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to three, two. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to tell you what we are more than sure is going to happen on Thursday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. We got five minutes left so we can be methodical with our analysis and we'll go through all three phases of the game. To me, Cordell, though, we have to start with the injuries. No Lane Johnson, clearly the best offensive lineman Philadelphia has. Go back to last year when he dealt with the 10-game suspension for the PED use. That offensive line was a disaster. So that's something I got to factor in. Plus, Fletcher Cox is questionable. Philadelphia, short week on the road dealing with injuries. But if we're just going to take it, Category by category, Philadelphia's offense, Carolina's offense, who has the edge? That's a really good one. Um, when you look at the offense of the Philadelphia Eagles and, and, and how they approach everything um, from a depth chart standpoint uh, across the board, I kind of give the edge. I know McCaffrey is kind of the, 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 the X factor in this whole entire ordeal. Um, but I think if you look at this team with Alshon Jeffries, Torrey Smith, if you look at Carson Wentz and what he's been able to do, I mean, look at LeGarrette Blunt, Smallwood, because Sproles is out, Smallwood. Um, I think it's almost evenly matched. I think it comes down now to, to the coaching side of it all. You know, the schemes, you know, which scheme is going to be better? Because you look at the quarterbacks. You, you can arguably say they're playing some of the best football in the game. Both quarterbacks combined. Really not that big of a difference. You look at the running game. I think LeGarrette Blunt kind of leads it just a little bit from a uh, from a physicality standpoint and, and, and far as the approach is concerned. Um, if you look at, you know, Jonathan Stewart, sure. Okay, you know what? Nice, playing good football. But then you look at Smallwood. You look at McCaffrey. Um you can kind of almost call that a wash, too, as well. Torrey Smith, Alshon Jeffries. Which side do you want to lean on? You get to the defensive side of the football. I think both teams are extremely physical when it comes down to it in the end. So for me, when I really look at this, this is so evenly matched. I have to be honest with you, for the first time, it's tough for me to pick one. But if I had to give the edge to who I think will win because of their experience, I know it's hard to not say the Philadelphia Eagles, or even Carolina, but I'll give the edge to Carolina because they'll be at home. Um, This is going to be a great test for Philadelphia with what they're able to do. I think they get the ball out of their hands much faster than the Carolina Panthers do because of the West Coast-style offense with Doug Peterson. I think that helps them because you know what Luke, Keekly, and Thomas down the middle, they're really darn good. I give because of the home field advantage. I'll go with the Carolina Panthers in this one just because of that. But Philadelphia do has the antidote. They do have the drug, figuratively. They do have the kryptonite to be able to beat this team. The question is, will they be able to play 60 minutes and be able to handle Cam Newton with these 10, 11 play drives that can take over six minutes of, of, of a quarter? Seven minutes, maybe. 
Can they handle that? Can Philadelphia be patient enough to deal with that? I'm going with the Carolina Panthers in this one. All right. Score, 24-17, Carolina Panthers. And I want to pick Philadelphia. I want to justify what I've been doing in my power rankings the last couple weeks. But to me, the injury is too sizable to overcome. So Carolina's going to win it. I'll follow your logic. I'll go one possession, 27-20. Since we have two minutes of bonus time. Bonus! Will this be a preview of the NFC Championship game? Will Carolina and Philadelphia get together in January for a trip to the Super Bowl on the line? And here's why I can come up with that point of view. I don't buy Atlanta as much as other folks do, so I have Carolina winning that division. And you know my man crush when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. Well, Green Bay's got real defensive issues. So if I'm slotting teams in the NFC, I can make Mm -hmm. a strong case. We're going to see Eagles, Panthers again, NFC title game. The power in which both these teams possess, offensively and defensively, I think right now, across the board, they're the two better teams in the NFC. That's over Green Bay. I mean, yeah, that's over Green Bay. Uh, that's over Seattle, who we know they are eventually get hot. Uh, that's even over the Los Angeles Rams, who we know they have the capabilities of doing some good stuff. Um, that's over the Detroit Lions, who I think is a really good team. Even the Washington Redskins, who's trending in the right direction. I think for as complete teams right now, these are the two most complete teams in the NFC. I think the Green Bay Packers get caught at some point in time because of the injuries. I think they cannot sustain this type of performance, even with Aaron Rodgers being hot. I look at these two teams because Philadelphia will get better, I think, from a standpoint of health, and they will get better. Carolina, it's just a matter of how long can they keep this thing going and will Cam Newton even become even more accurate? So with all that being said, yes, I can see this being an NFC championship game because they're playing that type of football. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.